people might be kind of like, what in the world? You guys are trying to close out 2020 like it began. Uh, a wreck. But yeah, we do that from time to time. I, I heard somebody was saying that for uh, 2021, everybody enter in quietly. Don't let 2021 know you're coming. And uh, hopefully we'll get through 2021 a little bit better shape than we did for 2020. <clears throat> A little bit of frog in my throat, don't worry. It's just one of my typical frogs in my throat, don't worry about it. <clears throat> I try not to clear my throat too much. But let, me, uh, let me throw a scenario out to you to see if I can maybe pull us into what it is we're going to be talking about today. It's a very serious <clears throat> topic, of course, um, and then how, kind of how to get to this whole wreck the halls thing. But let's say, no, I just want to clarify, I know that you guys would never do this. Okay, I want you to understand it. But let's just say you offended somebody. Okay, now again, I, yeah, you're laughing because you're like, Harold, please, we wouldn't do such a thing. Right, exa exactly. I'm just trying to get a, an application going here. But let's just say you offended somebody. You, you sinned against somebody. You, you hurt somebody's feelings and they're upset with you. So you come to me and you're like, hey, I want to make things right. I want to make sure that person and I are right with each other. Harold, what do you think I should do? Well, me being the, the wise man that I am, uh, I have an answer for you. So I say, here's what you do. Um, for the next two weeks, every day, text that person and apologize for what it is that you've done. So you dutifully go, okay, well, that's how you do it. That's how we're going to make things right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. So every single day, you get up, have your breakfast, you know, and then you, you text the person, hey, I'm sorry for offending you, whatever it is that I've done. Then on Monday of the third week, you go to the person's house because everything's going to be right now because you've done what was necessary to make things right. So they come to the door. That's a positive sign. <clears throat> but when they get to the door, they don't look real happy. Because not only are they upset with you for what you already did, now they're upset with you for blowing up their phone with texts for two weeks saying, I'm sorry for whatever it is that they did. Because that wasn't the best way for you to make things right with them. In fact, coming to me to ask that question wasn't the right thing for you to do. What should you have done? Okay, you guys are getting way too spiritual now. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, I mean, pray, that's, that's good. <laughs> no, it is, it's a good thing to do. No, go ask the person, right? I mean, you'd go, hey, excuse me, um, you know, I know, I think I offended you, but how can I make this right? You would, you would ask the person. Okay, maybe lesson for this morning, when you've done something wrong, <laughs> go ask the person how to make it right. So that's your first lesson, write that down. Notes from Sunday morning. I'm supposed to, it sounds like you guys didn't know that. Um, that's what you're supposed to do. You go ask the person. Sadly, what's happened, what has happened in our world, and this has happened for centuries, is that, Greg, did you offend somebody? Is that, oh, I think you got to. <laughs> Greg got up to do something that thought he offended somebody. But sadly, that's what people do when it comes to God. They, they, they know that something's not right between them and God. 
And so what they do is they go find other things. They ask other people, other religions, how do, we, how do I make myself right with God? How do I make sure that God and I are good to go? Well, it would make sense to me, and hopefully to you, that if you wanted to know how you could be right with God, that you would go to God so he could tell you. Right? Well, a cool thing, Recta Halls, that's the series is, we're going to find out from God himself, Jesus Christ, how it is that we could be right with him. We're going to cover three uh, barriers. And these, these barriers are things that people put up, sometimes even, you know, um, subconsciously, they just put up a barrier, they just assume that these are things that are going to make us right with God, but they become barriers to being right with God, to having that relationship with God. So when Jesus Christ came, I know he came as a baby, and I, I know it's a beautiful little thing that we can have Jesus in swaddling clothes. I'm not sure, you know, swaddling. What is that? Anyways, you know, this beautiful little picture of this baby in a manger that we, that we sterilize. But when Jesus came to earth, when God put on flesh, he didn't come as a, to have this little cute little story told about him. He came to wreck some things. And so he came to wreck these barriers that people set up that they think is going to make them right with God, but they are actually a barrier to him, and so he's going to wreck them. So we're going to talk about today how Jesus came to wreck religion. Because people look to religion, even those that would be called Christian religions, as the basis for which they are right with God. So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 18. It's, uh, we're going to start in verse 9. I realize I have the wrong uh, page number. It's actually 1046. Uh, if you're using the Bible there in the, in the seat next to you, <clears throat> 1046. And Jesus is going to relate a, a parable. And what a parable is, it's a, it's a story that uh, relates a spiritual truth. It doesn't give a bunch of different truths. It's one truth. You know, may have several different applications, but this is a parable. It's a story that's going to give us one specific truth. And Jesus is telling those, as we'll find out, um, that think that they're right with God in and of themselves, in and of their religion, as we'll find out here as we go further. So Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, you know, we sing at Christmas time, Emmanuel, God with us. So that means God put on flesh. So God's going to tell us how it is that we can be right with him. Sound good? Excited? Wow. This is a rough Sunday. <laughs> so, excited? <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. So this is, what, this is what Jesus says. Follow along as I read, and then we'll go back and, and uh, break things down a little bit. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, right with God, and viewed others with contempt, which is kind of a, a side effect of people who think that they're righteous. They kind of look at other people with contempt. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other tax collector. 
And the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. He said, God, I, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus continues, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus is looking around at the crowds that are around him. And everywhere Jesus went, there was always crowds. I mean, he was the, the, the most popular thing around. So we turn on TV and, you know, everyone wants to watch TV and what's going on and be involved in these different TV shows. They didn't have that back then. They were out watching Jesus heal people, teach, and it was awesome. But as he was looking around as God, he knew what some of their hearts were, some, what some of them were thinking about as it, as it came to being right with God. And today he knows what we're thinking, where we're at with that whole question. And so Luke relates to the readers of this gospel, including us today, what Jesus has to tell us about this being right with God thing. And so he, he comes up with two religious polar opposites. He wants to make this very, very clear to everybody who's reading this, and in his day, everybody who was hearing this. And so let's see, let's break this down a little bit and let's see what Jesus is trying to tell us. So there's two men, they went to the temple to pray. Now, the temple back in the day, back in the first century, the, the Gospels were written at a time where people were living like they did back in the Old Testament. And back in the Old Testament, God's presence was in the temple. So everybody who wanted to worship God would go to the temple. And so people from all over Israel, at least once a year, would go and worship God, and they would do these sacrifices, and the sacrifices um, would cover over their sin for a year, and the next year to come back and do it again. But the, the worship was centered in the temple. And so this Pharisee went into the temple, and lo and behold, a tax collector goes into the temple, which is kind of unusual because of who he was. Today, we don't have a temple that we go to. Some people call this God's house. Well, no, this is not God's house. When I was a kid growing up in church, my parents would say, don't run in God's house. And I remember the first time I was told that it wasn't God's house. <laughs> this isn't God's house. I can run in it all day. It's just a building. It, well, that's true. This is not God's house. This is a building that those who are God's temple come into. Well, that's kind of where your body's a temple. Yeah. Because what happened was when Jesus died on the cross, quick story, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he defeated sin and death. And so that when we place our faith in him, we, he's our sacrifice, then God forgives us of our sins and places his Holy Spirit in us. Paul tells us later on in the New Testament that now our bodies are the temple of Christ, temple of the Holy Spirit. This is God's temple, which has huge impact 
for us as we live out our lives because our entire life is an act of worship for God anymore because our temple, our body is now the temple because God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. Why would Jesus use these two examples? Like I said, he wants to make this perfectly clear to everybody. How does somebody become right with God? How does that happen? There's too many different opinions out there. He, as God, wants us to know. And so he uses the Pharisee as one example. The Pharisee is a religious leader of Israel. He is the most religious person. He is the the rightest of the right. If you ask anybody back in the New Testament, back in the the Gospels, and you said, hey, uh, who's going to heaven for sure? They would say the Pharisee, the religious leader, because he did everything right when it came to religion. He was the epitome of religious perfection. He had to be right with God. On the other hand, Jesus tells us about this tax collector. I I can't even describe for you how uh, much hatred the Jewish people had for tax collectors. They considered them thieves. They considered them traitors to Israel, because here's what they would do. These were Jewish men who would be hired by Rome. Rome was the one who was oppressing Israel. Rome controlled Israel at this time. They would go to Rome and say, hey, I'll collect your taxes for you. And then Rome would say, that's great. I want to make, you know, we want to make sure that we get our taxes, but then whatever you can get over and above, that's what you can live on. And so these guys literally were thieves. They would, they would tell the Jewish people, I need a certain amount of money, but they knew that only a percentage of that was going to Rome. The rest of it they were getting. So Israel looked at them as, as traitors. They were the worst of the worst. They were the epitome of unrighteousness. If you said, hey, would a tax collector be able to be right with God? They would say, never in a million years could a tax collector be right with God. They're actually listed in the Gospels with sinners, which is a person who's not religious at all, and prostitutes. These guys, and it was usually at the end, so they were the worst of the worst. And yet, Jesus is using them as an example, contrasting example of who's right with God. If that's my agent, please uh, tell him I'll get back to him in a second here. No, that's fine. It's okay. He's always trying to get hold of me. You know, (laughs) I'm busy. You know, I know you want to make money off me, but I'm busy. So these two men enter the temple and. Jesus is going to give us what their prayer was. And in that prayer, we're going to understand where their heart is and what God himself thinks of these individuals. So we have the Pharisees' prayer. Am I right there? Don, did I mess you up? Okay. And he says this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I mean, can you imagine if I stood up here on a Sunday morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and man, I'm so thankful that I am not like any of these people that are sitting, because that's what this guy is doing. He's standing there in prayer, and when the Pharisees walked into a room, especially into the temple, people parted the ways, and they got to a place of honor. They were standing in front of everybody, and it's as if this guy's standing there 
praying to God while looking around, saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like that swindler, that guy over there who's a cheater, that guy over there who cheats on his wife, and I'm really thankful that I'm not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. See what he's doing there? Kind of weird that he's thanking God, isn't it? Because he doesn't give God any credit. He's the one who's making himself right with God. He should be thanking himself. It should be, God, I thank me. (laughs) I thank me because I don't just tithe once a year like all of Israel was commanded to do. And if you tithe, tithe, I mean, if if you fast once a year, uh, you know, then you're going to be right with God. Again, that's what they're thinking is, I don't just fast once a year. I fast twice a week. You see what's happening here? I mean, if, if once a year makes you right with God, then certainly twice a week. Now, fasting, for those who don't know what that is, is, is where you, you don't eat for, in this case, for a day. So twice a week, these guys were going without food. And they, they felt like, man, that, I am good to go when it comes to God. And then he says, I, I tithe from all I get. Now, some versions of the Bible, um, they just say of their uh, wealth or of their income. But in the Greek, it's all that I get. Why is that important? Because the Pharisees didn't just tithe or give 10% on the income they made. They gave over and above. They, they gave 10% on even their food, all the way down to their spices. The spices that the temple would use in their offerings and stuff, they gave even a 10% of that. And man, if, if giving 10% of your money is going to make you right with God, is what they thought, then when I give 10% of everything I have, man, I'm... I'm good to go with God. That's awesome. Again, he should really be thanking himself. So he fasts. He pays tithes, tithes of all he gets. But notice the difference of the tax collector. It's interesting. Uh, in the English, his prayer is seven words long. In the Greek, it's six words. Um, more emphasis is given to the, the attitude behind this prayer than the prayer itself, which is kind of an interesting thing. But in describing the tax collector's prayer, Jesus said that he was standing some distance away. Now, we talked about the Pharisees got position of honor. The tax collector... Really surprising that the tax collectors even in the temple, because tax collectors are typically sinners; they're non-religious people. But this guy is. But he's going to be on the fringe. He's going to. In fact, some people think he's out into the court. That he wasn't even in the room where they were praying. He wasn't even close to this prayer wall thing. He was out in the court because he knew I, I don't belong in God's presence. I am such a sinner. I don't belong. And by the way, the Pharisee would be very happy with that because the Pharisees, when they would go out in public, when they got home, they would do a ceremonial washing to 
cleanse themselves from having potentially touched one of those sinners. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he didn't have any right to go walking into that room where they were praying, I'm going to stay at a distance. He doesn't even feel like he can lift up his eyes to heaven, it says. He's unwilling to lift his eyes. I can't even look God in the eyes. I'm such a sinner. I'm so messed up. But he was beating his breast. He's just pounding it. That word there means he did it over and over and over and over and over again. The Bible tells us that the, the heart is the center of our sin. It's, it's, a, it's what causes us to do everything else in our lives. It's from our heart that sin comes out. It's our attitudes, it's our thoughts, it's our motivations. And, and he was, it's as if he's, God, get this sin out of me. I know I'm a sinner. I'm despicable. I don't even want to look at you. And he's beating himself in the chest, saying, God, get the sin out of me. Make me right with you. And then he says this. These are some of the, probably the most powerful words written about a, another human being. It says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Again, some translations will take the out and put a in, you know, a sinner. But in the Greek, it really means the sinner. What's he saying? <clears throat> he's saying, I realize, I know everybody's a sinner. But I know that you are holy and that you are perfect and that my sin is so bad it's as if I am the one and only worst sinner possibly that could ever live. Jesus is truly emphasizing to us here the need to understand that it's our sin is what keeps us from God. Not our religion. Unless we use our religion as a way to get to God. What gets in the way, what needs to be um, taken care of, is our sin. And this is really cool. So Jesus uses the Greek word we translate as merciful. Now in most of our thinking, if you've been in church any length of time, when we use the word, when we see the word mercy, it means not getting what we deserve. And most of the time, that's what the word we translate mercy is. But this isn't the same word. And again, this is for you who like to impress your friends and family with some Greek. I throw it out there for you. It's Alaskomai. And Alaskomai, what it means is, well, here, I'll... Uh, you know, sometimes when you're reading some of these theological uh, books, they write things in, su in such a way that you have to kind of share it with you. Um, but it says, so this is what it, you know, in, in smart people talk, this is what it, it means. Uh, to eliminate impediments that alienate the deity, the deity. So, so what's he, what he's saying is, now of course he's not using these words, but to eliminate the impediments, get rid of what it is that causes me to be separated. What's the barrier between you and me? How do I become right with you, God? And, and, and whatever is keeping me from you, remove that. Well, it's the sin. So he's saying, remove my sin. Remove that which keeps me from you. This word is only used one other time in the Bible. It's in a New Testament book called Hebrews. 
in chapter 2, verse 17. And it's talking about Jesus Christ. So Jesus is telling this story, knowing that in a few days, weeks from the time of telling that story, He was going to be hanging on the cross and dying for man's sin and rising again to defeat sin and death for individuals who had placed their faith in Him. And so He's, he's kind of pointing to the, to, to the future and as people remember the story, in our case, remembering it and looking back at what He did on the cross, it says, therefore, He had... He had to be made like His brethren in all things. In other words, God put on flesh. He talking about Jesus Christ. So that He might become a merciful, there's the original or normal way we think of merciful, and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation. That's the same word as be merciful to me. And that word propitiation, again, kind of a big word, but means substitution for the sins of the people. So Jesus Christ... Why he came as a baby was to live life in a, perfectly before God. We talked about what, why he did that. He gives us his righteousness at salvation. But he, he lived with mankind so that he could show people and help people understand who God was. And then he would came so that he would die on the cross for our sin, to be our substitute, so that God wouldn't look at us and our sin, but he would look at Christ, we talked about this last week, that we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. His righteousness was given to us when He forgave us of our sins. So this tax collector is beating his chest saying, God, remove the sin and substitute Give me a substitute. Do something to forgive me of my sin. We know that's now, we know that's Jesus Christ. So, what was the point? Well, Jesus says, I tell you, this man, talking about the tax collector, went to his house justified. In other words, declared not guilty. The other, or rather than the other, the Pharisee. When God looked at these two in their prayers, He looked at the tax collector and He said, I understand that you want me to remove your sin. And you understand that I'm the one, the only one who can do that. And because of that, I'm going to remove your sin. I'm going to justify you. I'm going to declare you not guilty of your sin. In the Greek, this is in the perfect tense. Now we talk, um, we talk about this like on Thursday nights and stuff, and I even say on Sunday mornings. One of the reasons why we don't just read the Bible, it's important to study the Bible, is because these, these words have important meaning. And so the, the perfect tense, when he uses that word here, of being justified, it means at the point in time that that tax collector recognized his need for God to save him from his sin, to forgive him of his sin. From that moment there, God says, you're forgiven of your sin. And then that lasts, it has ongoing effect. It goes on and on and on and on into eternity. And so, whether you're a person who placed your faith in Christ last week, we had three people indicate that they accepted Christ last week. That's awesome. Whether it was last week, 
or any time before that, if you've ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you were justified by God. At that moment, you were declared not guilty, and it goes on all the way through into eternity. That's why you don't ever have to pray that prayer again. We say once saved, always saved. That gets some people a little bit worked up, but we also know from a lot of our series that once you do that, your life's going to look different. You're going to demonstrate some change in your life. Jesus, well, yeah, just to finish out the point, the Pharisee then, Jesus is telling us, was not declared free of his sin. He was not declared innocent. He was not declared forgiven. He went home still in his sin, no matter how religious he was. He goes on. So here's the bringing it all together. Again, God's telling us, Jesus Christ is telling us, for everyone who exalts himself, everyone. Some people say, well, yeah, that's the Jewish religion and it's all messed up. But if I'm a Christian, if I, if I do the Christian religion right, if I go to church all the time and I give in the offering plate and I, uh, I, we don't do this here necessarily, but you know, if I have confirmation class or if I get baptized or if I take communion or if I, in another Christian, you know, if I speak in tongues, there's a whole bunch of different things that people will say, well, as long as I do those things, then I'm going to be right with God. No, everyone no matter what the religion you are, who exalts himself, who lifts themselves up, say, look what I did, God. Look at me. Look at me. I'm so good. Anyone who does that will be humbled. What do you mean by that? Well, at some point, we're all going to die. And we're going to stand before God. And the people who are saying, hey, look at me, look at me, this is... I, I'm doing really good. I've done a bunch of really good stuff. I, I, I deserve to go to heaven. They're going to be humbled. They're going to realize that they were wrong. But it's going to be too late. They're going to realize that, no, I'm not right with God. That's not what made me right with God. The person who humbles themselves, now this is the, talking back on earth, the person who humbles themselves, like this tax collector, the person who says, I, I've got sin in me and I can't do anything to get rid of it. I can't, I, I can't get it out of me. I can't do enough good things to balance it out or to make it myself better. I, I, I'm falling before you, God, and I need your mercy. I need your substitution. The person who humbles themselves admits they can't make themselves right, will be exalted. That's a passive. Someone is going to exalt them. Who? God's going to exalt them. How is He going to exalt them? He's going to make them right with Him. Not based on what they've done, but based on what He's done, what Christ has done by dying on the cross for our sin. Again, you know, <clears throat> one, of the, one of the downsides of Christmas is that we, we look at Christmas and we sterilize it so much and we make it such a, a pretty um, warm and fuzzy thing where there's this little baby born and 
Mary and Joseph are walking with their donkey, and they come to a manger, and the manger is perfectly fitted out, and it's got animals there, and they're all mooing and cooing, and, and it's all beautiful smells, and it's just, it's just so not what the world was back then. And it's so not what the world is today. That world was a mess. People's lives were crumbling all around them. They were hopeless. And God says, I'm going to fix that problem for them. I'm going to do what's necessary for these people to be right with me. And I'm going to do it myself because He's the only one who can do it. He's the only one powerful enough to take the sin, your sin and my sin, on Himself and die that eternal death. He's the only one who can forgive us because He's the judge. He's the one in charge. And He's done it through Christ. So Jesus came to wreck religion. Now, I'm not saying that religious activities and traditions are, are wrong. What I'm saying is, and what Jesus is trying to get us to say, understand is, when we use those as the basis for why we're right with God, there's sin. They're even doing those activities, thinking that God's going to be good with me and He's going to accept me, that activity is sin. Because it's selfishly motivated. It's all about me and what I do. Look at me. So Jesus came to wreck religion if we're going to use it as our way to get to God. And we don't need it because God has come to us in the man Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. To knock down the barriers that that some have set up, this barrier of religion, so that we can have a personal relationship and be right with God. As the band comes up this morning, just got one simple takeaway. <clears throat> and if you're here this morning and you've made the decision to look to God for mercy and to experience His forgiveness, and, and you're right before God based on that, this entire morning for you is a reminder, something that you should need to be praising God and thanking God for. You should be taking notes and using this as you have conversations with people. And as you think down the road, who is it that I'm going to invite to the Christmas programs? And who is it I'm going to talk to about who Jesus is? This is one of the basic messages that you could have with somebody to help them understand who he is and what he came to do. But if you're here this morning and you've been trusting religion, you've been trusting um, religious activity or tradition, God wants you to know, based on his word, But that is not how you become right with Him. He makes you right by forgiving you of your sin when you humbly ask Him to do that. That's that's the takeaway. Who are you trusting to be right with God? You you only have two choices. You can trust yourself. We just heard from Jesus. That doesn't work. Or you can trust in God's mercy through faith in Christ. And when we do that, He forgives our sins. He declares us not guilty. 
He places God the Holy Spirit in our lives. And now we are right with Him and will be from this day through eternity. What I want to do this morning is uh, we do this differently every week. <clears throat> uh, well, not actually every week, but every time I do this, we do it a little bit differently. And I'm just going to do it this way. If you're here this morning and you're like, oh man, I need that. Then let me just lead you in a prayer. It, it's my, me praying doesn't save you. Please, you don't want me trying to save you, okay? The prayer itself doesn't save you. It's, it's what your heart is saying to God's heart. It's you calling out to God like the tax collector, saying, be merciful. Substitute. Take my sin and, and, and make us right. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray a prayer. And if, if you need to do that today, I would, I would ask you just Pray something along these lines. Your heart to God's heart. Let's go ahead and close our eyes. And and just simply say this, Heavenly Father, like the tax collector, I know I'm a sinner. And I realize religious activities, traditions, don't make me right with you. But today I know And I believe that you have done everything necessary to make me right with you. I ask you to forgive me my sin, substitute Christ's death for me. I thank you for your forgiveness. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands and we've done that before, but I'm not going to do that today. What I'd like you to do is just grab the welcome card, that connect card. And if you would, just fill that out. If you prayed that prayer, just fill that out and either hand it to me, walk past me, give me a paper cut with it, and then hand it to me or drop it in the offering bucket and I'll see it. On that card, there's a place where you can mark where you've accepted Christ. You've placed your faith in Christ. I would just encourage you to do that and let us know that you've done that. And we'll be praying for you and we'd love to have you just keep on coming back and learning more about this awesome God who died on a cross for your sins, who wants you to know Him in a deeper and deeper way every day. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close out with a song.